Welcome to the Dare to Care podcast, brought to you by HR Culture. And now here's your host, Susan Judd. Welcome everyone. I am Susan Judd and this is the Dare to Care podcast. Today, as always, I will be asking my guests the same five questions, drawing out the best of what our ladies in leadership have to offer. We will be asking our guests in each episode this season about the challenges they've experienced in the workplace. We'll also be asking them their most memorable moment from the workplace, what they've learned about employer expectations at work and how they've managed those, what they see as the critical skills that are needed for the future of work, and what is their best advice for other young women and young people in general entering the workplace. So I'm really pleased today to have with me all the way from Florida in the United States, the inspiring Debbie Muno Summers, founder and director of the EI Academy. I met Debbie a couple of years ago at a Genos International Global Conference in Singapore, where as a group of emotional intelligence practitioners, we came together to build our knowledge and to get to know one another from all over the globe. Debbie was one of the presenters at the conference and her presentation had an absolutely profound impact on me. She taught me a tool, she taught all of us a tool that for me anyway, I use all the time working with clients to help them better understand what emotional intelligence truly is and the fact that we all have some sort of understanding, even though we might not know it, about emotional intelligence and how we've experienced that in either our day-to-day life or in the workplace, no matter how old we are. Just like me, Debbie is intrigued and fascinated and entertained by people. Her fascination with emotional intelligence started way before it became popular. Debbie spent some of her teenage years working in television. She also competed in gymnastics until the age of 20. She's owned a business with her husband, Jeff, for several years. And of course, she's been married to Jeff for several years. And all of these things have taught her to address, manage and try to understand her emotions and those of the people around her which has all been informal emotional intelligence education. I'm excited to hear about what her answers are to our five questions about young people entering the workplace and to even see how things are going over there in the United States. Um, So without further ado, I would like to extend a very warm welcome to Debbie Muno Summers for joining us on today's episode. Thank you, Susan. Hi. Great to have you here. Debbie, we're here today to ask you five questions about your views and perspectives of leadership and your experiences of the workplace and your advice for Generation Z, who are our um, our young people who are about uh, highest age, about 23, 24, and right down to about age 10. So they're in high school in your world. They're probably in middle school as well um, and also at college, in university. Um, and and entering into our workplaces. Um, so before we get before we get into asking you those five questions, um, can I can I start by get, getting you to give us a little bit of um, background about yourself and and the EI Academy? Sure. Um, so a little bit of background about myself. Uh, I am a fortunate human being. I'm really lucky to have had two really great parents um, who each kind of took. 
uh, I don't know if they intended to do this, but it worked out this way. They each sort of took like a, a side of my brain, right? So my dad was the athlete. He became sort of the athletic coach, the psychology coach, uh, taught me a lot about winning graciously and losing graciously and being part of a team and succeeding independently and succeeding as a team. My mom took the whole academic side. And so um, I was encouraged to really pursue school and be um, as give as much as I could, both academically and athletically. And it turns out that that served me really well. So I've had some had some really cool experiences over my life uh, at the tender age of 53 and a half. I still celebrate my half birthday, by the way, like when you're <laughs> five and a half, you know, that half birthday is really important. So I'm about to be 53 and a half. Um, but one of the great experiences that I had was that I, I had this opportunity to work for a television show when I was just a kid, the age that, that you're talking about with this generation. Um, so I got a, a job when I was 12 and co-hosted this weekly children's show and got thrust into a very adult world at a very young age. And um, I learned an awful lot and got to meet a lot of very interesting people. Um, and that really shaped, uh, I think, a lot of how I pursued the rest of high school. You know, I, I retired from that job when I was in ninth grade. Um, but it gave me a really interesting perspective on how I approach school, how I approach people, um, what I chose to do when I went to university. And then um, because I have a rather extroverted personality and I'm not so shy, um, ended up getting into sales and getting into sales and education and then into the assessment business, which is where I met my fabulous husband. And then we started working together in an assessment company and that led us to the EI Academy and into emotional intelligence. So had a, a really um, interesting go with, with being full-time employed as a very young person who wasn't old enough to do anything adult, but I had a very adult job. Mm -hmm. And then I got to kind of be a kid again and be an athlete and be a student. Um, but so far, it's been good. I, I hope I have lots more experiences like that. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. Thanks for giving our listeners a bit of background. So, Debbie, let's get into your fir the first of our five questions for you. And the first one is that I'd love you to share with us is what are some of the challenges that you've experienced in the workplace? Wow. Um, well, I think challenge is opportunity. So I don't think that challenge by any stretch is a bad thing or a thing for us to be worried about or um, depressed about. I think they're educational opportunities. So I have always been in a sales role I didn't intend to do that, by the way. I think that I had an awful lot of extroverted competitive energy and um, the universe provided me with some opportunities that sounded kind of cool to me and turned out that I was using some of my skills. So it's always a challenge when you're in sales, right? Because you don't, you don't ever know what's going to happen. And you have to be able to ride that roller coaster of having a good run and then kind of hitting that trough. And um, that taught me a bit, by the way, about how to manage my emotions early on. But I think that that represents probably every single position that's out there. There are always going to be challenges. So did I um, not meet a deadline or did I not meet a goal? Am I struggling with a teammate? Um, in my case, I got promoted into a management role very early on with 
absolutely no training, no discussion at all whatsoever. That was a huge challenge for me and somewhat cringeworthy when I think back on some of the mistakes that I made early on in a leadership role. Um, And of course, uh, I, I work with my spouse, my husband and I, who are Uh, married and our greatest accomplishment is not necessarily that we love each other although that's pretty awesome it's that we like each other but I will tell you that there was a lot of opportunity in learning how to make sure that we worked together um, and and overcome the the challenges that can happen during the course of a day to really overcome those opportunities so um, biggest challenges are always what are the economic conditions? What kind of product are you uh, selling or distributing or working with? Um, How can you creatively make whatever you do necessary? Because the world changes and wants and needs change. Can you be relevant and be agile enough to adapt to those changes to make sure that you're you're always having a productive environment. That's probably the biggest challenge that I, I know that I face, but that maybe we all face. Yeah. I think it's interesting because we haven't positioned to our listeners what at, at what time or day we're recording. But let's <laughs> just suffice to say that it's early July to 2020, and. Um, we're both experiencing across the globe this COVID-19 crisis and pandemic. Yeah. Um, so your talk about agility and adaptability and flexibility and creativity, particularly now, possibly more than ever before, we've had to find this, this, this creativity. And I know there's been a lot of talk about pivot. pivot. I don't know if you've had it over there in the US, but this pivoting, have you been able to pivot your business? And I don't know about you, but it's been, it's kind of done my heading, this whole pivoting. How do we pivot from something that's so, you know, we both work in emotional intelligence. We're developing human connection skills. And and we've been talking about, before we started recording, talking about this whole how do you connect? And, um, on, yes, you can do it on Zoom, yay, but it's yeah. not exactly the same as being in a room and feeling the energy and the vibe of the people around you, which is the way I and probably you too have always had these done out what we do. Right. Well, yeah. and it's it's the way that you and I met, right? Yeah. So we, we meet at uh, the Gen Awesome Emotional Intelligence Conference and it's all about that connection and it's all about being together. And it's so hard um, yeah to really just be when, when you're hardwired, we as human beings are hardwired to be connected. Um, and so you know that we do not at all like the phrase social distancing. We immediately began using the phrase physical distancing and social connection. Yeah. And now more so than ever, when we don't get to have these casual interactions, um, it's a good time to work on your gratitude practice as well. But I've realized in this time period just how grateful I am for the times that we could simply text a friend and say, hey, do you want to meet up for a glass of wine? Or we're headed out to a restaurant that we talked about. Do you want to to join along? Like how many times we took being able to do that for granted. 
And now that we can't do that, and it's not safe to do that, how do we pivot? How do we still maintain that? So um, you've probably done the same. We've had a lot of Zoom happy hours. Yeah. We've had Zoom retirement parties. Um, Jeff and I taught my parents how to Zoom because we haven't seen them for months. And so to be able to at least look each other in the eye and see each other um, beyond the voice, you know, that, that's, a, that's a bit of agility just to maintain those human connections and those relationships. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. Okay, let's thank you very much. Let's talk, move on to your question two, which is, I'm, I'm intrigued with this one. I can't wait to hear this one. What is your most memorable moment from the workplace? Oh, my most memorable moment from the, do I have to have just one? Oh, you can have a couple if you like. Okay, thank you. You're a very gracious host, Susan. Thank you. This one is really hard. You know, and they're really hard because I, I think that's almost like your, your, your career comes in like phases, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. so I can remember in my very first job, the very first time that I had the best sales number of numbers of the whole team, that felt like such an accomplishment. Um, and so I very vividly remember that. Um, memorable, Susan, isn't always positive. No, I so, really agree. Yeah, you and I were chatting a little bit that um, when I became a manager for the first time, I pretty much violated all of the rules of what you should do to be a really collaborative, successful manager. I just didn't know how. Um, yeah. I was really, really good at being a competitive individual contributor. And yeah. turns out all of those same traits and skills um, that made that made those those traits and skills such an advantage immediately became a disadvantage when I moved from one position to the next. Mm -hmm. And so I have several uh, cringeworthy, perhaps Michael Scott office like memories uh, in my early management uh, status. And then, you know, I would say there are two others. So thank you for not limiting. One is in the very first business that Jeff and I worked in together, we, we grew that from nothing into something really quite wonderful. And we don't have human children. So that in many respects was, was a child that we raised and we felt like we did a really good job with that. And so that's not just a singular moment in time, but that, that spanned uh, a time period. Is that like and an experience? That's like a, like a whole, it's like a journey. Like an arc. Yeah, yeah. like an arc. And then, you know, we, we made, uh, we were talking about pivoting. We made a huge pivot um, four years ago when we became involved with, with Genos International. We were in a position because of several circumstances that sort of converged that we really needed to be agile and kind of rewrite the latter part of our career. And so that um, is incredibly memorable because we were in our 50s or approaching 50 and we were excitedly terrified. So I, I think that sort of terror and adrenaline excitedly <laughs> terrified yes or as our friends Derek and Ava say sick sighted right you're so excited about it but you're feeling kind of sick about it too um, and and we kind of we we felt that and and that is um you know that's vitality that's life if if you're not doing something that makes you scared 
then you're kind of not doing enough. And so we were really excited and yeah, a little bit terrified, but it, it turned out really well. So, you know, okay, we're, so we're you, thankful for it. Thank you. The, you. Like you shared with us, you know, the first time, like, so when you were young, there was this event where you were the best salesperson with the best sales number really, you know, um, gives you that sense of value and meaning, doesn't it? When you are able to, and that, that, that um, hit of dopamine when you, when you beat everybody else. Yeah. So for, for somebody who's a competitive, competitive, as a as a gymnast, you would have been right. Absolutely. Um, and then this, you know, these experiences about you know these learnings, and I think it's really important to identify that memorable moments don't necessarily have to be positive. They can be le great learnings. They can be, oh my god, this was a great learning. I made some mistakes as a first time leader. Yes. Yes. Were all of those skills that those dependable skills that you had um, as an individual, independent salesperson, individual, um, this competitive spirit and this ability to go about your business, all of a sudden, it just it actually goes to show that it doesn't those those it's a different skill set when you move into leadership. Susan, I went. They went from asset to deficit. Yeah. Um, in a twenty-four hour period. Yeah. The very things that um, I was appreciated for and valued for and trained for um, really became a detriment to me the moment that I stepped into a leadership role. And I had no idea. I didn't have any earthly idea no. um, how to make that transition. Yeah. yeah. So that's very painfully memorable. And, and, and that's an opportunity. Yeah, and, and I think per, definitely a personal opportunity and really important for our listeners when that happens um, to them as well, where lots of people get promoted into leadership roles because they're technically great. Yes. Um, but without those foundational leadership, you know, learnings yes. um, to say, hang on, how do you transition? Because it's a totally different ball game, yeah. isn't it? And, and Had I only had a Genos assessment... Um, I could have, you know, stopped so many things that went sideways. I, I could have prevented them or I could have simply learned how to, how to show up in a way that was really more in tune with a, a, being a leader, being the coach, right? So it's the very same thing that we see play out in professional athletics. Rarely does the superstar athlete really even attempt to become a coach, let alone become a really, really strong superstar coach. That is such a rarity because mm -hmm. the skill sets are completely different. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it was a really, really difficult transition. And, and now certainly we, in the EI world, we're educating people about those very things. And so quite frequently, you know, I'll, I'll, we'll be talking about something in a GenOS certification or somebody will ask a question and I'll just get this horrible flashback of something I said or did, you know, 25 years ago and think, oh, how did I not know? How yeah. did I not know? But yeah. it, it's in the tripping and the falling that, that we learn, right? That's where, that's where we build our strength. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think back in the day as well, and even now, I mean, this is the challenge, isn't it, is that this is this is actually a challenge in the workplace. May not have necessarily been one you articulated, but for general, generally, this step up to leadership is yeah. a challenge and it takes away the foundation of what you always relied on um, as an individual to, that you brought to the table and it's a totally different skill set. And so 
um, understanding that when you step up to leadership, there's probably an opportunity there for you to learn some more things and add some tools to your tool belt. Absolutely. And, and so I was used to leadership in terms of do it the best, perform the best, be that example of performance. Yeah. And that is certainly a part of leadership, right? Yeah. But what I, what I didn't have was everything that's underneath that. Mm. Um, you know, how, how, do you, how do you motivate? How do you learn um, what motivates different people? How do you connect with people on an individual level so that you really learn where they're coming from? Yeah. Not where you are and, and bringing them to where you are, but going where they are and, mm -hmm. and sort of walking side by side with them on that journey. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't have that piece. I, mm -hmm. I had the one side, but that's like having the roof of a house without having the foundation. And, yeah. and so I, it was um, definitely the school of hard knocks that yeah. uh, taught me that. Okay, thank you very much. Now, then our next question is all about employer expectations. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested to know what you've learned in your, um, in your career about employer expectations and particularly current ones if you're dealing with employers. Employer expectations and how, how you either learned as a woman to manage them um, or even just, uh, you know, um, employer expectations currently that you're aware of that would help some of our younger listeners? Yeah, I, this, is, this is a really interesting topic because to me, um, this question is really around the multi-generational workforce, mm. right? And so um, Jeff is a baby boomer. I'm right behind him. We were... We entered the workforce at a time when, you know, you put your head down, you worked really hard, you went early, you stayed late, mm. you didn't ask questions, you didn't ask about your career path, you did what you were told with mm. the hope and expectation that that would pay off for you. Yeah. And so many of us were in a culture where and this is a delicate thing because I am so competitive also, but we're in this culture of come early, stay late all of the time. Yeah. And so your work-life balance begins to get very out of whack and you get rewarded. We got rewarded for that out of whackness, if I yes. can make that a word. Yes. And so what young people bring along and, you know, the millennials who I think um, bring great things to the workplace, but took a lot of heat, you know, certainly here in the United States, it was a topic that still comes up that we would speak about at conferences and, and boomers, baby boomers in the audience would say, you know, with those darn millennials, well, you know what they want, don't you, right? Because millennials brought to the workplace, listen, I, you know, I, I have a family and a life and I'm willing to give you everything I have during those hours between nine and five. Mm. But it's really important to me that I go home with my young son or that I can take my dog for a walk after work or that I'm not working every weekend. And that is almost 180 degrees opposite from, yeah. from culturally how we were brought up. Yes. And so it really, and I still struggle with that, by the way, um, but I'm getting better because what we've learned, especially on this emotional intelligence journey, is how critically important your psychological well-being is. Yeah. 
And if we're going to be resilient, if we're going to have enough gas in the tank, not only for every day, but for every week and every month and every year and the decades that we spend working, yeah. um, we really need to balance that out. We really need to eat right. We really need to sleep enough. We really need to, to mentally step away from it. Um, and the detriment that we cause ourselves when we don't. And so that is something that as a young person, now, now I don't want to reverse position, but again, you have to make sure that you're giving it your all in the hours that you're there. Yes. So it's a very delicate balance. It's walking a tightrope. But as, as a young person, I think if you can find your mojo, right, if you can find what it is that really lights you up, what are you interested in? What's exciting to you? First of all, if you, if you have the great fortune to help figure that out and work in an area that's energizing for you, then, then work is not a four-letter word, right? Now, we do have to work. It's what puts food on our table and keeps our lights on. But if you can find your lane and actually get paid to do something that you really, really like to do or love to do, then that's the first part of the journey, because then everything about your mental well-being is different. Your relationships are better. Your physical and mental health is better. Your emotional health is better. Is better. Um, so that's one part. The other part is work on that balance. Um, you, once there's gas out of the tank, the car can't go anymore. And what do we all do when our cars get low on gas? We go refill it. Yeah. We need to refill our own gas. And we need to, to make and take the time to do that. Mm. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. So it's all about resilience and mental well-being and looking after yourself. And um, I think, you know, some of the challenge for our young people, our post-millennials, in fact, um, is that, that they do want to work in their passion. They do want to really... They want to work in their passion. They want to work for organisations. If they're not working for themselves, they want to work for organisations that are social, have a social conscience, um, and 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 having and having resilient strategies and 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 mentally healthy workplaces is part of part of that. Um, and I think I think part of the, the the mental health challenge or the psychological well-being challenge for them is you know when we first start our career journey. We don't necessarily secure that job that that is right in our passion. Sometimes it takes us till we're fifty, right, Deb? Hey, listen, um, yeah, I still don't really officially know completely what I want to be when I grow up, and I'm I'm actually not quite so certain that I'm that I'm going to grow up. And so, if if you would have said to me when I was their age, right, when I was ten or twelve or fifteen or even twenty. Twenty, yeah. If you'd have said, hey, listen, there's gonna come a day when you're gonna be affiliated with this really great company out of Sydney, Australia, and you're gonna have friends all around the world, I would have asked you, okay, what what is in your teacup? Right? Because you <laughs> yeah. just you don't think that your life is gonna turn out that way. And even when you try to plan it all, you know, life finds a way of forcing you to pivot or giving you the opportunity, I should say, yeah. to pivot and be agile. And so, yeah, we don't always quite find the, the right lane. I think if we can head in the right direction, we might bounce back and forth among streets and highways, hmm. um, but moving in that general direction and um, knowing when it's not right, 
right? Yeah. Recognizing all of those signals that you get when it doesn't feel right or you're, you're really exhausted or you're drained by what you do. And then having the courage to say, okay, I, I need to look at for something different. I need to, I need to find a different lane. I okay. tried on orange. Turns out orange isn't a great color for me. I'm going to try pink or I'm going to try blue. Let's see what that looks like. Or maybe it's yellow, but just having the courage to, and, and we didn't do that. Our generation didn't do that. If you change jobs two or three times in your career, you got labeled as a job hopper. Yes, you did. Because our parents, my father worked for the same company from the day that he finished school until he retired. Yeah. Um, people don't do that anymore. And I don't know that it's actually back in the day, it's how things were. But now I think there's so much richness that comes not only from you as a person going from one environment, one work environment or one industry to another, because you broaden your knowledge base. Um, so you get that enrichment, but so do the companies, right? Like there's this reinvigoration of new people and new ideas and outside ideas so that we hopefully can avoid a lot of the, well, that's the way it's always been. Yeah. Right. Because when we have more people who are bringing more experiences, there isn't this deeply rutted way of doing things. We get this opportunity to be more innovative and more creative and bounce more ideas off of each other. So so that trying on is good for both sides of that equation, I think. Yeah. Excellent. So I think it's time that you and you're going to absolutely love this question um, that we talk about question four, which is what do you see as the critical skills that people need for the future of work? Oh, thank you for that question. And you are so right. I wondered where you were going when you set it up that way. Um, yeah. So first of all, let me preface this with saying that we do not use the phrase soft skills ever at all. Um, we swap out the word soft for essential. And so I'm going to answer your question in the very obvious answer. And that is emotional intelligence and an emotional intelligence skill set. Now, that sounds self-serving, um, but that comes from, obviously, all the work and all the research that, that you and I both do. Mm -hmm. um, so I think if we had a time machine and we went back 500 years and we polled 1,000 people and said, hey, listen, would you rather work for somebody who made you feel valued and appreciated and useful and part of the team? Or would you rather work for somebody who really made you really frustrated and worried and you were um, felt like you were being used and you were worthless? Who would you pick? You know, and that's a bit of a rhetorical question because we know what people's choice would be, right? We, we want to work and, and be rewarded for our, our effort and feel appreciated and feel connected and part of. Yeah. And I think if we had that same time machine and we went 500 years in the future and we asked our future workforce, who would you rather work for or with? I think we know what that answer would be. So in that simple example that we probably all can agree on, we've just spanned a thousand years of work history yeah. in which the constant is that human connection and valued human interaction, productive human interaction is always better than not. Yeah. 
So you and I have the good fortune of knowing what goes on in our brain when we are in threat circuitry and how our brain is really yummy when we're in reward circuitry and how that basically makes us smarter and more creative and more innovative. And so we spent a good portion of our discussion so far talking about pivoting and being agile. And you can do those things when you are in reward circuitry, when you feel valued and meaningful and useful. Mm. So I would argue that no matter what point in time we are, and no matter, I mean, we're talking about work, but I think this is true for every relationship, that having emotional intelligence skills, really being able to effectively and productively understand and manage your own emotions and your emotions with others, I think that is the capital letters, essential capital letters skill set no matter our age, no matter our industry, no matter what language we speak, and no matter what time period we're in. Yeah, 100% agree and well put. Thank you. Thanks for setting yeah. me up with that question. No, that was that, that, that's okay, but I think, you know, it's really interesting because I ask the same questions of every guest um, mm -hmm. and, and um, what, we're up to episode 16 um, and I've had 16 different answers. Yeah. So... So yeah. I, I anticipated that you would probably say um, emotional intelligence skills. And I'm really interested to know a little bit more, sorry, a little bit of a tangent, a little bit more about the fact that you've swapped out soft skills for essential skills. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with you. Um, how, do the, how does the market, how, does the, how do the people that you're talking to, the broader market, understand essential versus soft that's a phenomenal question. That has been an evolution. Uh, so when we really became engaged with Genos and emotional intelligence, that was 2016. And so in 2016, uh, you'll of course remember that the World Economic Forum put forth this list of the top 10 skills that they said were going to be in demand for every job out there by 2020, which seems so far away. And emotional intelligence is, was, and is on that list. What's interesting about that list is the other nine skills that are on that top 10 list, of those other nine skills, six more of them are directly related and results of emotional intelligence. Mm. Shagma about thing is about adaptability and creativity and innovation and negotiation and people orientation, right? These are all results of EI skills. So that list basically said, look, by the time we get to 2020, 70% of what every job is going to need out there has to do with emotional intelligence. So we started talking about that. We started using that list in everything that we talked about. And it was in that context that we said, if 70% of what every job out there needs is on this list, and this list really represents emotional intelligence, then that's a requirement. That's not soft. Soft yeah. is, come on, just, our dog's name's Humphrey, come rub his belly. That's soft. That's fuzzy and warm and wonderful. It's not soft. This requirement. Yeah. This is like saying, like, if you want to be a dentist, well, you have to graduate from dental school and pass the boards. That's an essential piece of doing that. Mm -hmm. And so we just right away started introducing that concept that it's not soft, it's essential. Yeah. And we just kept saying it. Well, what happened was as time moved forward, now artificial intelligence is really starting to hit people's coffee tables, right? Before it was in the lab 
MIT folks are talking about artificial intelligence. Yes. Now it's on Time Magazine. People are reading about it in Inc. Magazine. It's in Forbes, right? It's Harvard Business Review is putting things forward. And so Harvard Business Review puts forth this research paper that says, hey, look, with the advancements in artificial intelligence, that's making emotional intelligence all the more important. Mm. And that began fueling this whole essential skills concept that we were talking about. So you have those two things working in tandem. And people would say, oh, yeah, I, I get what you mean. And we would put people through the emotional intelligence experience, right? This opportunity for them to think about the best boss they've ever had and the worst boss they had mm -hmm. and how they felt when they were around them and how they described those two people. And you put that into the context and you realize and people would realize, yeah, I mean, the way that I feel had a lot to do with how well I did my job or if I hit my goal or not or how I felt when I was not at work and at home. So we started connecting these personal experiences with this data and this research. And then now here we are in 2020 and we're in the midst of a global pandemic. And so one of the things that has emerged, I think, from COVID-19 is that people have very, very much seen how their emotions have an impact on what happens to them on a day-to-day -day basis. I think we're we're also busy like in the hurricane of work, right? Our, we have these massive to-do lists and some device is always dinging or binging or calling and beckoning for us to respond to something. And in the span of a short period of time, people were thrust into these unfamiliar environments. Hey, you don't go to your office anymore. They're going to work from your dining room table. By the way, so is your partner or your spouse or your roommate. Oh, and those three kids that you have, yeah, you need to homeschool them also yes. while you're doing your job from your dining room table with your dog barking behind you and your three kids learning how to spell and do mathematics. And so, you know, the, all of these emotions came to the forefront, frustration, um, sadness, uh, empathy, all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And people really began seeing how they felt and how that impacted what they had to do and so while we're all in this together and we're all dealing with COVID-19 together it really became an accelerant for how essential it is to harness your emotions and to be smart with them and so now you have companies saying look we took this for granted we used to think that this kind of stuff was a perk and we've now realized that our employees emotional well-being is prescriptive yeah, we need to really look out for that. And I think you guys in Australia are way ahead of that always have been way ahead of us here in the States. I, I would argue that you're a decade ahead of us in being concerned with worker well being. Um, we're catching up. And if if there is anything that's a productive side of COVID, I think this is one of those things mm. that people have realized that the way that we feel really is impactful in our work. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Thank you. Thanks for that tangent, uh, answering that tangent question sure. too. That's sure. brilliant. Okay, lucky last question, Deb. Um, what's the best advice you've got for young people entering the workplace? So um, I, I'll come back to you. Um, begin paying attention to how you feel when you're engaged in activities, right? How do you feel when you're in math class? If you were me, that was dread. So clearly, while I have this interest in science, 
and I really dig astronomy, and I think chemistry is kind of pretty cool. Um, I don't have the math chops, and I was not desirous of getting those mathematical chops to really do that as a profession. So it's a hobby, right? I watch the Science Channel a lot. That fills that need for me. Yeah. Um, so how do we feel when we do things? Um, what classes do we have that really lift us up? Um, what are our hobbies? What are the things that we study and are craving to learn about when we don't have to? What do we choose to read? Um, so I, I think if you can start to dial in to just get some generalized ideas of things that you like and don't like, yeah. and then you start exploring the things that you do like, and then exploring them in the, in the context of work. Okay, yeah. so if I do like to do this, what kind of jobs are available that would let me do this? Mm. And if you're me and you're somewhat extroverted, you start reaching out to people who do stuff in those industries. You start emailing people and saying, hey, look, I'm a, a sophomore in high school. Um, here's what I've learned about myself. These are the things that I really like. You're in this kind of industry. Can I interview you for 15 minutes? Yeah. And you do a Susan Judd. You make yeah. a list of five questions. Yeah. And you start asking people, what do you do during the day? What kind of education yeah. do you have? What do you like about what you do? What don't you like about what you do? Yeah. And that exploration can really be helpful in starting to, to head in the general direction. You'll not pick the lane that you'll stay in forever, but if you can head in that general direction, um, yeah. I think that puts you at way ahead of the game. If yeah. you're not me and you're not extroverted, then Google is your friend, right? You can find so much information out um, on, on any kind of website or any kind of career exploration that can really help you start to kind of narrow that. And so you just, again, want to get a general direction. The other thing that I would say is, you know, you don't have to be committed to anything. So we, we talked in this conversation that if, as a 20-year-old, you told me that you and I would be talking and we'd be connected through this company in Sydney, Australia, I'd have asked you what you put in my teacup, yeah. right? You have to be um, open, have some openness to new ideas and exploring new things. And you have to take a risk, right? I think you have to be terrifyingly excited when you make some big choices, Um because that's what helps us to grow, right? That's what makes us feel alive. That's what helps us to grow. And we can always change direction. You can always change direction. It might not be at the time you want. It might not be the final destination that you want, but you can always change direction. Yeah. Brilliant. I love it. I'm like, because you've given the introverts and the extroverts some advice. I love that because not everybody is um, as as brave and outgoing as you. If you yeah, a lot of people have a control of their tongue much better than I do, Susan. They are um, <laughs> equally maybe as brave, but it's just that their fingers are more brave than, than their tongue is, right? And so they let their fingers do the walk-in. I, I would put one other piece in there because we've talked so much about work, and I know that this about, is, is about work, but for, for me, these two things are um, wound together like a strand of DNA, right? So... Yeah. The other thing that I would say is um, find a partner who you both love and like. Um, and those might seem like they're the same things, but they are not. You know, I, I, I didn't get married until later in life. I was 34 when Jeff and I got married. 
Um, and I was, oh, I wanted to be married. I want, or I wanted to have a partner. I wanted to be in a relationship. Yeah. But I didn't have to be. You know, I kind of grew into my independence and I was okay if I didn't. Mm-hmm. I wanted that, but I was okay if I didn't. Um, but I really was able to find somebody who is my best friend, who is a wonderful compliment to me. And you know, Jeff. And yes. so you know that while we're both pretty outgoing, yes. there, are, there are some grounding things about Jeff. I am the highly spirited, sort of get a little crazy when my to-do list is out of control. And he's the calming force in our house, right? He's the one who's like, Deb, you just, just need to relax a little bit. <laughs> um, and, and he's so good for me in that realm. The other way that we complement one another is I'm a taskmaster, right? I, 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 you've heard me say a couple times, and I'm just now realizing this, how I talk about my to-do list. One of the things that gives me great pleasure is crossing something off that to-do list, right? And maybe that's a competitive thing, right? Like how many things did I cross off during the day? I'm so bad that if I've done something that I forgot to put on my list, I will write it on my list for the sheer pleasure of crossing it <laughs> off. Right? So I really, really like to tether things. And I'm, I'm good at that. I'm good at keeping things organized. I'm really good at and, and taking an idea and bringing it forth, coming up with a way to communicate that idea and creating a process. What I'm not good at all at is the creative idea itself. I'm just not, I'm moderately creative, but I'm not overly creative. Jeff, on the other hand, is like creative in bold font, 70 point font underlined, right? So he's, his idea, like they're just nonstop. And so because we work together, this is really a wonderful combination because in all of that stuff that he comes up with, then we find something and pluck it out of there. And I'll say, I can make that work. You know, let, me, let me work on that a little bit. And I think I can come up with a way to make that work. Um, and so that's how our work life works yeah. together. But our personal life, and because we work together, they're very much one and the same. Yeah. Our personal life works that same way. And so mm-hmm. I, I think who we choose to journey through life with has a really big impact on our emotional well-being. And um, that would be the other piece yeah. of advice for a young person. And it's hard I don't know that my 20-year-old self would have recognized any of that, but my 53-and-a-half-year-old self certainly has gratitude and, and very much appreciates that that's where, that's where I landed. Yeah, look, I, 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 agree, I agree with you in terms of the life, in all of your advice, but in terms of the life partner advice, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think you're right. I think that maybe in, at the, you know, in your teens and early 20s, um, the excitement that you get from a new relationship and the hope that you have. Um, it, it isn't this, and this is no, this is absolutely no insult to any of our young, younger listeners, um, but it's a different, it's it, what you're talking about is actually different. It's, um, it's not, it's not necessarily about the excitement, although the excitement is still there, mm-hmm. luckily, um, but it's this support that the support and this balance that you have in your relationship you're all you're both equal you both bring different things to the table you know and and it's and I I know my parents said to me don't ever work with your partner don't ever work don't don't ever work my parents parents work together right (laughs) I remember I remember my dad saying never work with your partner right 
because clearly they used to argue a bit because they'd go to work and, and whatever had happened and then they'd come home and they'd be together at home too. So um, it's, it's something that I've taken with me through my life is dad told me. Yeah, don't, don't ever do that. Yeah, well, and mine did too, right? So clearly I'm independent enough that I didn't listen. And, and you know, my, my father was a banker and my mother's in the finance business. And so I'm certain that I'm theirs, but, I, you know, there must have been some genes yes. that skipped several generations because I don't, I don't have those skills, right? So they said the same thing. But, but I think it makes the case, so you think about your mom and dad, right? It makes the case on why emotional intelligence yeah. is an essential skill. So Absolutely. you think of what you know and what you, what you teach people to know yes. through our work in EI. Had your mom and dad mm. had a grown Susan to teach them those skills, you know, might your dad have given you a different response? So, you know, luckily for Jeff and I, we're in this business together. Yes. And so we have a set of, like Liam Neeson in the movie Taken, right? We have a very particular set of skills that we're fortunate enough to have learned. That, that, that's just that so gives just... us Yeah, right? That gives us that opportunity to know, okay, this is a moment for me to exercise my yacht. This is a yes. moment for me to, to exercise my self-management. Ooh, yes. I missed... I had an opportunity to be really empathetic with him and I missed it. And I'm not going to let that happen again. Right. We have all this underground information that if we could just simply share it with the whole world, every relationship would be better. Yes. Every, every friendship, every parent, child, every sibling relationship, every partnership would be better. Hence my case that, you know, this is the essential skill. Yeah. Or the I, essential skill set. Yeah, I agree. I hundred percent agree. I think you know my 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 fifty year old self. Um, if only if only I knew everything I knew when I was you know younger and growing up and had my dad saying those sorts of things to me, whom I loved. I love my dad to the moon and back, um, but didn't have the sort of skill set that I have now um, to be able to, and even to you know that whole piece around um, empathy and the perspective of others and everybody's got a backstory that maybe we know nothing about right you know yeah and you, you think that. about but but as you say that you wouldn't you and I wouldn't be sitting here talking you wouldn't be doing maybe what you're doing had things worked out differently right we, we're we're a product of all of these little micro decisions that we make in our life and we think that they are, many of them are insignificant, right? We think that, oh, well, we went to this Starbucks instead of that Starbucks. What's the difference? We still got our vanilla latte. Yeah. But that one step, one way or the other, has an influence on the universe that we just don't have often any fathoming on, on how that ripples out. So I've read the book several times now, you know, The Butterfly Effect, and yeah. you just don't know when you know you smile at somebody and even though we're all wearing masks it is still very evident when people are smiling because eyes are incredibly expressive and so even being safe when you smile at someone maybe you're the only person that day who smiled at them or maybe they were just having a really rotten morning and got a really bad piece of information and just one small kind gesture that we innocuously do and move on with our day might have made a small or a big difference in in their life so so that's one of the other things that as a young person i couldn't like you're just trying to figure out 
which jeans to put on, you know, I mean, kind of that was sometimes my biggest decision. Do I wear this top or that top? Right. And now you, you look at all of these things so differently. And the fact that we all influence each other, you know, we, this is the only place we've got to live, you know, as of now, there's nowhere else to go. So while we've been talking about differences a little bit between Australia and the United States, the reality is like we're, we're all earthlings and we're all here together. And so we have this opportunity to, you know, spread some energy and we're going to do that anyway. So if we make a choice to spread positive energy instead of negative energy, that picks up steam um, and, and that carries forward. And, and so uh, that would be if I could go back to my younger self. I would tell my younger self a couple things. Number one, don't sweat the small stuff because I'm really good at sweating the small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff. Um, number two, every day be grateful for something. Begin looking out of your eyeballs for things that are positive and to be grateful for. And these don't have to be giant things. These are little things like, you know, Jeff took the, Jeff took the garbage out for me. I'm, I was grateful for that the other night because it was raining. And he said, I'll, I'll take the garbage out. Um, we've been married almost 20 years. He makes my first cup, you know this, he makes my first cup of coffee for me every single morning. I am eternally grateful that that's his first thought. The moment that I wake up, he's making my cup of coffee. That is a cup of love for me. Yeah. Um, and that seems like a little thing, but it's a giant thing. Yes. So every day, if you look for something and you're intentional about finding something that you're grateful for, it's kind of like when you're talking about the career path, right? You open up all of these other positive opportunities. And so you might see something that really has an impact on what you decide to do. And, and um, follow your passion, pick a good partner, make really good friends no matter where they live. So thank you for being my really good friend, Susan Judd, and you're for welcome. inviting me on your fabulous podcast. You're welcome. And thank you so much for spending time with me today. It's this morning in uh, where I'm sitting in my office and it's, and it's kind of getting later in the evening where you are. It is. It is 9 p.m. in the evening. But so, we 53 and a half year olds can at least stay awake until like 1030. So I'm good. I've, yeah. got a, I've got a good 90 minutes to go yet. Yeah, yeah. look, it gets worse as we, are, as we get a little bit older from my experience and my husband. Yes. I, can, I can make it till 9. Yeah, see, goals. So it's good to have goals, Susan. Yeah, goals, yes. goals. And by the way, we're not getting older, although it is a privilege to get older, right? It is, yeah. that's one thing to be grateful for. I know a lot of people who don't like their birthday, clearly by my 53 and a half, you can tell I love my birthday. Yeah. Um, so it is a privilege to get older. But my new word is I'm more vintage than I oh, used to. I like that. Yes, I'm going to use that. I'm vintage. More vintage. More vintage. More vintage. Yes. Vintage. Vintager. Okay, so I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been a blast. Um, it's, it, you know, just some of the things that you've said, of course, we, I knew they would resonate with me. I hope they um, will resonate with our listeners. You know, I like the words, I've hashtagged a few things like terrifyingly excited, um, six-sided, uh, human interaction, human connection, um, out of whackness. <laughs> Out of whackness. Hashtag out of whackness. Spread positive energy. Uh, you know, um, also be intentional. There's a, the, the butterfly effect. You know, there's all of these things that you've kind of said today that I think are really key takeaways. 
um, the whole replacement of essential skills um, to take them away from soft skills I think is really powerful and I hope it gains momentum around the world, around the globe, because um, it's going to take all of us to start talking in this way. I mean, I've certainly replaced essential skills with soft, you know, soft skills with essential skills. Um, and I, that hence why I asked you the question around, you know, how is the market taking that? Because it's a bit of a slow burn, I think. Um, yes, so, so so thank you very much. You've shared some great advice and um, some great stories that I think that our listeners will really benefit from. So thank you very much. Now, Debbie, if our listeners, if any of our listeners, because I'm hoping you're going to share this with some of your, you know, networks over in America as well when it, um, when it, when it lands, um, is to how can I contact you or find out more about the EI Academy? Well, so you can pop onto our website, which is uh, theeiacademy.com. And from there, you can reach out and contact us. Our phone number's on there. Um, we have a Facebook page, uh, The EI Academy. And certainly on LinkedIn, you can find me on LinkedIn, Debbie Muno, M-U-N-O, on LinkedIn. Hang on, Debbie Muno on LinkedIn. Okay, well, I'm going to put all of those connections in our show notes. So awesome. that if there's any, yeah, so awesome. that if there's anyone um, that wants to reach out to you after in the in the US or anywhere across the globe, in fact, um, they will have the connections to your your website, your Facebook page, or to you personally on LinkedIn. So absolutely love it. Excellent. So Debbie, thank you so much. Um, oh, we'll sign off now. But I want to say to you, you know, given the the, the time of the year it is in 2020. Um, it's great to Zoom with you, to see your face. You know, I know we've been texting, uh, but it's nothing. there's nothing like a Zoom, especially when we can't hug. And um, please stay safe. You thank and Jeff you. and your family, stay thank safe. You do the same. And thank you. It was an, an honor um, to be part of this podcast. I, I really appreciate you asking. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Dare to Care podcast. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts We'll find out more about HR culture and dare to care by going to hrculture.com.au. You've been listening to another Morgan Media production. 